0: Welcome to Specialty Stories. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, your host here every week, or almost every week, bringing you another great physician to share his or her story and how they got into their specialty. Now, my guest today is no different, Dr. Tim Brennan, and he shares his journey, it's kind of a circuitous journey, to addiction medicine starting off in internal medicine and then switching to pediatrics before finally realizing his passion for addiction medicine. We start that conversation with his journey to addiction medicine.
1: So I came a little bit late to pediatrics compared to most folks. I actually matched into a categorical medicine program when I was in medical school. Um, My uh, clinical rotations were a little bit out of whack because I went to Tulane during Hurricane Katrina. So Mm. the clinical experience was a little bit disjointed. Um, Nevertheless, um, during my intern year in medicine, I actually decided to make a change into PEDS. So re-entered the match, uh, rematched in pediatrics, and then during my pediatrics residency, started to sort of see more and more patients that were suffering uh, primarily medical sequelae of what seemed to be behavioral health pathologies. And so that kind of piqued my interest in potentially going into child psychiatry. And then uh, kind of the more I explored that interest of mine felt like the more specific disorders I was particularly interested in were addiction disorders. So ended up going into addiction medicine right after my pediatrics residency. What
0: was it about addiction medicine that piqued your interest? Uh, That's a good question. I
1: I feel like addiction medicine is the most medical of the psychiatric subspecialties and it's the most psychiatric of the medical subspecialties. Um, And so, in that sense, I felt like it was very comfortable ground for a pediatrician that was interested in behavioral health. Um, you've got kind of classic bed and brother, bread and butter rather, withdrawal physiology. You've got an intersection of public health, uh, public policy, and um, organizational medicine, and more. Often these days, you've got politics. Legislators are looking at the opioid crisis seriously for the first time in many decades. So in that sense, I found it to be a really rich um, crossroads that that seemed to work for me, Um, perhaps. Most importantly for me at the time, the fellowships were only one year in duration compared to the typical pediatric subspecialty fellowships, which were three years in duration. Mm-hmm. And so it seemed like a fairly uh, benign value proposition. So I dipped my toe in, and really the rest is history. I've been in the field ever since.
0: Yeah. So explain the the journey for you. So you, you, uh, you said you started the categorical medicine program, switched to pediatrics, That's right. That's right. Mm-hmm. went into addiction medicine are you certified or board certified have any training in the psychiatry aspect of that as well?
1: Yeah. So, uh, so I'm boarded in pediatrics through the American board of pediatrics, and then also boarded in addiction medicine through the American board of preventive medicine. And so addiction medicine is a subspecialty of ABPM, American board of preventive medicine. And that's who we all get our board certification from. So, um, That being said, psychiatrists paved the way. And so I count many psychiatrists among my colleagues. I'm on faculty within the department of psychiatry okay. in my uh, day job. And so while I don't identify myself as a psychiatrist, I'm certainly mistakenly identified as a psychiatrist <laughs> by like the lay public, even patients, uh, sometimes colleagues. And I'll, of course, politely correct them and, and not want to masquerade as as them. But it's, a, it's a, a field with a lot of overlap. Yeah, definitely.
0: Which is a, a question that kind of leads me to is, do you think, because the, the last guest who I had on uh, that was doing addiction medicine went and got her psychiatry training as well. Mm. Do you think as an addiction medicine specialist, it it is quote unquote better to have uh, more psychiatry knowledge or do you think it's just something you learn as you go through?
1: I mean, I think, It would be unusual for an addiction medicine physician to not be psychologically minded. I I think you'd struggle to find addiction medicine physicians who weren't already interested in psychiatry and hopefully adept at psychiatry. So I don't think any addiction medicine physician should um, be practicing if they don't have a real appreciation and affinity for general Uh, kind of bread and butter psychiatry, treating depression, anxiety, and so on. Um, That being said, I don't think an addiction medicine physician needs to be facile at treating severe psychotic disorders, severe mood disorders, or severe personality disorders. We're very comfortable leaving that uh, diagnosis and treatment to our psychiatric colleagues. So um, I think having the extra skill set in psychiatry can be synergistic. I don't think it's an absolute requirement and certainly know many addiction medicine physicians that are very comfortable taking care of general psychiatry and don't need to have done that actual residency.
0: Okay, makes sense. What trait do you think leads to someone being a good addiction medicine specialist?
1: Yeah, so first and foremost, I think empathy uh, comes to mind. We have the privilege of taking care of patients who are suffering from a horrible disease. Um, Many of us grew up learning about the stigma of addiction um, from our friends, family, societies that we grew up in. And so many of us were raised to think negatively of people who suffer from addiction. So first and foremost, the physician who's going to be around those patients needs to be empathic and, uh, understanding that this is not a volitional disease. This is a disease like any other. Um, I think, you know, second to that, this is a, uh, medical specialty like any other, and we are evidence-based and, uh, for all too long addiction, uh, treatment was provided in a non-evidence-based manner. So, Physicians are admittedly very late to the addiction treatment world, but we need to bring our own unique skills that is a foundation in science and a tradition of peer review to the treatment that we're providing.
0: Yeah. Okay. What other specialties? You you mentioned that you went into, uh, into the categorical medicine program first. What was it that Kind of led you that path first before realizing that pediatrics was where you wanted to go
1: I don't think it was the most informed decision in retrospect <laughs> i I knew I didn't want to be a surgeon yep. um, and I knew that while I had an interest in psychiatry, I felt like it was sufficiently far removed from the uh, sort of uh, traditional medicine skills that I had really been honing since pre-medical requirements uh, that I I felt like I wanted to at least uh, practice, for lack of a better term, regular medicine of some sort. Um, So internal medicine is uh, sort of a a catch-all, if you will. So went into it uh, thinking, uh, probably a bit diluted in in retrospect, thinking that I would be a primary care doctor and have a panel of patients and, and sort of progress with them uh, through their lives. And it became very clear very quickly to me that the modern internist, if you will, is uh, really in a lot of ways, a geriatric specialist and oftentimes finding themselves taking care of people right at the end of their lives, whatever age they are. And And that didn't really appeal to me.
0: Yeah. For a student who maybe doesn't completely understand addiction medicine and the types of patients you're seeing, can you explain the, the types of patients that you're seeing and, and then given that you're a pediatrician, how that
1: plays from a pediatric role as well. Sure. So, uh, simply stated the uh, addiction medicine physician takes care of all patients. I have the privilege of taking care of people from across the age span, from across the socioeconomic spectrum and really any other demographic that you can imagine. Um, I consider that a real attribute of our field um, because addiction has so many sequelae in psychiatric and medical disease. We of course end up interacting with specialists and subspecialists in a variety of fields. It's not uncommon for me in a typical day to encounter oncologists, gynecologists, otolaryngologists, dermatologists, infectious uh disease specialists and so on. And so in that sense, I feel very much a part of the modern uh, medical system. Um, And like I said, my patients can come from uh, a really wide variety of backgrounds. Um, The the truth about addiction is that it really knows no bounds, right? It affects all of us as human beings. And so in that sense, I see that heterogeneity uh, reflected in my patient panel.
0: And then, from from a pediatric perspective, how how young patients would a, a pediatric addiction medicine specialist see?
1: Well, tragically, uh, addiction as a disease has been creeping earlier and earlier into our lifespans um, unfortunately kids as young as 10 11 12 years old are experimenting with drugs and so i've interacted with with young children and in, in that age group uh, more typically it's adolescents particularly folks in um, the young adult phase or emerging adult phase of their life typically 15 to 25 year olds um, and of course, situations change depending on um what age the patient is an eighteen year old adolescent is going to have fundamentally uh different things going on in their life than a thirteen year old mm-hmm.
0: and then from i I think a lot of students listening to this will will think addiction and think drugs and alcohol. What about food addiction
1: and other addictions in that area it's a It's a good question ryan um at the moment, addiction medicine is confined to the addictions that you would find in the DSM five. Um, that is to say, addictions that have been codified uh, in DSM five and uh, addictions that can be reimbursed uh, by a third party payer, primarily say Medicaid, Medicare. Mm-hmm. Um, food addictions sex addictions uh, internet addictions if you will uh, reside in or a better term for that is of course behavioral addictions uh for the most part those reside in the section of dsm-5 which is our psychiatric manual uh in a in a section that that needs more research uh now that can be where diseases reside before they're codified and thought of as actual diseases but uh, for the most part, the, the modern addiction medicine physician is not interacting with them unless they're in a sort of private practice environment where they're not billing a third party pair. So I'm not suggesting that some people don't suffer from food addiction or uh, gambling disorders or sexual compulsions, even sexual addiction uh, for that matter. But it's not something that the typical addiction medicine physician is encountering uh, in, in any sort of widespread capacity at the moment.
0: Yeah, makes sense. Do you have a typical day? And if so, what does that look like?
1: Uh, I do not. Um, the The nature of addiction medicine is so hybridized if you look around the country that we have very very different career tracks Uh, for one we're a field that's still in our infancy and so in that sense it's kind of hard to find archetypes like you would see maybe in cardiology or gastroenterology where you can sort of predict what a physician's day or life is going to look like in different phases of their career Um, it's not uncommon for me to make rounds on our inpatient uh, detoxification and rehabilitation Unit followed by seeing a few consults in the hospital or perhaps the emergency department. Um, I oftentimes will float through our opioid treatment program where people are coming uh, to get direct daily observed methadone or buprenorphine, and oftentimes find myself in uh, group meetings at our residential halfway house. So that is to say, my days are are very different, very distinct, uh, which to me has great appeal.
0: Do you feel like you have enough time for life outside of the hospital?
1: I do. Uh, I, I think the fundamentally addiction is a specialty that uh, follows uh, business hours for the most part. Now, of course, there are there is some after hours calls, there is some weekend calls, but not like a trauma surgeon would have, not like a critical care physician would have. So, we're certainly um, accountable and reachable by our patients, uh, but this is typically a Monday through Friday career for most addiction physicians. How competitive is it? Compared to the surgical specialties, it is less competitive. Um, what we've seen, though, in the last uh, six to 12 months is really an explosion of interest from residents uh, for our fellowship program. So, going back four or five years, uh, a lot of the fellowship programs uh, did not have that many applicants to choose from. Now, all of our fellowship programs, for the most part, are inundated with applications. So I think most of that is interest in the opioid crisis. We've seen it on the front pages of newspapers and magazines. And so, The the modern uh, medical resident reads those same papers and is aware of what's going on. So I don't think things are dissimilar in our field uh, to what went on in HIV medicine. Once HIV exploded, you suddenly saw a lot more uh, competition in getting into the field. and, And that's really a good thing for our field.
0: Yeah, definitely. For the osteopathic medical student listening to this, do you see any negative bias towards DOs in the field?
1: I do not. In fact, um, addiction medicine has been a field that's been richly populated by osteopathic physicians uh, really since our origin. Um, Many of the leaders in addiction medicine have been osteopaths. Um, I count many of them among my colleagues. So I think certainly compared to other fields, um, this is a lot more welcoming. I'm not really aware of any bias that has gone on um, about the osteopaths. In fact, there's a pretty rich tradition of addiction medicine within the osteopathic association as well. So mm-hmm. I think in that sense, it's a pretty welcoming field.
0: Yeah. Once you become an addiction medicine specialist, are there opportunities for further training, whether formal or informal to to just do opioids or just do alcohol, or things like that?
1: There are inevitably people pigeonhole and and subspecialize. Um, For example, somebody who comes into addiction medicine from emergency medicine may find themselves practicing kind of more of a toxicology-based practice. Right? They might have a position in a health system where they're called upon to opine about various overdoses in the community, uh, poisonings and so on. Um, likewise, a psychiatrist who does an addiction medicine fellowship might find themselves working in a much different, uh, capacity. So we don't yet have kind of sub sub specialty fellowships within addiction, but there are certainly folks who specialize, um, within addiction. Um, One of the things that's important to point out is that addiction medicine fellowships are not just teaching people about the opioid crisis. The opioid crisis, of course, is our current addiction crisis in America, but we've had a tobacco and alcohol problem uh, for many decades, and inevitably there will be another crisis around the corner. So the goal of the Addiction Medicine Fellowships is to equip a workforce with a skill set that's transferable to whatever that next crisis is. In fact, many of us think that once we finally get our heads around the opioid crisis as a country, there will inevitably have been the sort of dawn of a new crisis. And so we can perhaps use the opioid crisis to to get ourselves equipped.
0: What do you wish the future primary care physician listening to this episode knows about what you do day in and day out to help you and help your patients and their patients?
1: Sure. So um, I have a thesis and that is that the average primary care physician doesn't know any addiction medicine physicians. The average primary care physician, she or he may not even know that addiction medicine exists. And so that's on people like me to uh, spread the word around. Uh, I would contrast our field with, say, endocrinology. The average primary care physician probably knows a few friendly endocrinologists in her or his network where they can call on those endocrinologists for curbside questions, uh, routine patient referrals, or for that matter, complex patient referrals. Um, My goal, my wish for our field is that we have Graduated enough fellows, credentialed enough physicians such that the average primary care physician, when they are presented with a difficult addiction question, knows exactly who to call and who they can rely on in their community to refer patients for evidence based medical care um, or evidence based curbside consultation. Uh, That's the goal, and I feel like we should stop, we shouldn't stop anywhere short of that.
0: Yeah. Do you see any special opportunities outside of clinical medicine for addiction medicine specialists? I, I think you'd mentioned a lot of uh, yeah. policy and, and politics and stuff, so maybe th-
1: yeah think I, about I, that I do. I think it's it's um, well, for example, let's say you and I went to a, a busy intersection and I'm actually here in New York city. So if you and I went down to times square right now mm-hmm. and we interviewed a hundred patients and we asked all 100 of them what their opinions were on non Hodgkin's lymphoma, I would guess that the overwhelming majority, in fact, perhaps all of them would say, I don't have an opinion. Ask the oncologist what she thinks. Um, but if we, went to Times Square on a different day and we interviewed another hundred people and asked them what their opinion was on heroin addiction. Unfortunately, perhaps a majority of them, in fact, maybe all of them might have a, uh, opinion. Um, that's very unique in medicine, right? It's, this is a strange disease that for whatever reason even people with no medical training think they know how to treat it. They think they know how to diagnose it. They think they know how to treat it. and They think they know how it'll get better or worse. Um, so in that sense, um, this is a field with a lot of um, rich uh, overlaps with the rest of society. Um, likewise, legislators, law enforcement, and so on. They come up against addiction in their domains. And so as they're writing laws, as they're prosecuting cases, as they are kind of creating public policy, I think that's a real opportunity for physicians in the field to impact that work and speak from a place of science um, so as to improve the public health and, and try to decrease stigma. What's the biggest
0: Misconception or myth around addiction medicine,
1: probably that the patients don't get better. Um, it is a a great privilege to take care of these patients. and unfortunately, when I tell people that I do addiction medicine, e- even other colleagues, um, it's often met with an eye roll or a, a sort of um, offhanded remark about how difficult, quote those people are. To take care of. And, and really what, what, what that speaks to is that, uh, physicians, nurse practitioners, PAs, they're oftentimes interacting with addiction sequelae among patients who don't want treatment, right? They're mm-hmm. taking care of patients in their clinic who might be asking for a little bit, uh, too much or too frequent a pain medicine. They might be taking care of patients in the emergency department or on the wards who, um, are not interested in addiction referrals. And I would contrast that with the patients that I take care of. Patients fundamentally come to me because they want care. And so oftentimes that same patient uh, may rub providers uh, very different ways as they migrate through the health system. And so uh, my experience is that people when they are interested in getting sober um it's really a privilege to take care of them and and if you can be with them on that journey um they really do get better so when we talk about um uh, breaking up myths i I think that's pretty much the prime one and so i oftentimes invite colleagues from other fields to to come spend some time with us or or really re-engage with patients once they've gotten sober because it's really dramatic some of the changes that we see
0: What do you know now that you wish you knew before going into addiction medicine?
1: Oh my gosh. Um, (laughs) I I guess I, I didn't realize um, how much medicine I'd still be practicing. That's probably a vague term, but when I was going into addiction, I thought, well, all I'll be doing is addiction. Um, That's not the case. I'm still managing hypertension. I'm still managing diabetes. I'm still treating people for infections. And so in that sense, I was had a little bit of trepidation because I thought, well, I'm kind of giving up my primary field, moving into addiction medicine. And really you're not giving up your primary field. You're still going to be practicing medicine. People with addiction have all of the same problems that people without addiction have. And um, so that's been really a good thing. Do you
0: turn in to, as, as patients are coming to you and struggling with their addictions, do you turn into their primary care provider in a lot of times, a lot of times?
1: Ah. Uh, Oftentimes. Yes. When they're with us. Um, that being said, we're actually careful to not do this in the long term. Uh, the, the kind of, there's been some myth making in addiction, um, that's been perpetuated by Hollywood in this country. And that is that addiction is best treated in a one-off, uh, residential setting, uh, typically a bucolic setting with lots of green grass and, and maybe some <laughs> horses to play with and so on. Um, and, and there's this popular narrative that people with an addiction problem, quote, go away to rehab and they come home cured. Um, now, we know from decades of experience, uh, much like cancer, for example, that that's not the case. Right. You can't, unfortunately, simply excise a tumor and forget about it for the rest of your life. It oftentimes involves longitudinal care. Well, the same is true for um, addiction. And so, um I very much feel the need to kind of um, deconstruct that a bit and make people aware that they are going to receive longitudinal care. Likewise, when patients transition... Uh, away from us, it's important to realize that they're not going to necessarily be at our center for the rest of their lives. And so very early on in their treatment, we're trying to plug people into primary care in their communities so that they can have that follow-up moving forward. Uh, It's not uncommon for people to come to us having neglected their preventive medicine needs uh, for for a long time, right? A lot of people come to us and we realize they need pap smears and mammograms and colonoscopies. So of course we help them set that up, mm-hmm. but we're not looking to replace the primary care physician in their health landscape. Yeah.
0: What do you like the most about addiction medicine?
1: Well, this is going to sound crazy, but I, I never thought I would be thanked so much um, going into a field. I I, I think people are really grateful if you can provide them some dignity and some respect um, and 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 help them get sober um and and so, in that sense, I had no idea that people would be so grateful It's almost a shame. That they are so grateful because I think in a way it speaks to how stigmatized um, and maybe disillusioned uh, they've been with with their health care uh, before they've gotten to addiction physicians. Uh, so it feels good. I love being thanked. Um, but part of me wishes they weren't surprised uh, that we treated them with such respect. What do you like the least? The third party payer. <laughs> um I I waste hours out of my week uh, doing uh, quote unquote prior authorizations. Uh, Most of the time I'm talking uh, to a robot um, that's not even good at being a a robot. Um, (laughs) When I do speak to a a, a person, uh, they're reading a script. They're always shocked that they're talking to uh, to a physician. I think they expect a a secretary or administrator. It'd still be a waste of their time also. Um, But uh, that really is frustrating. Uh, that being said, I'm going to continue to get on the call because the patient needs the medicine. It's just a shame we have to jump through those hoops. Yeah.
0: If you had to do it all over again, would you still be an addiction medicine specialist?
1: Absolutely. And in fact, I, um, I try to tell as many medical students as I can. I, I view them as kind of undifferentiated stem cells. Um, I've been thrilled with this field. I think it's a wonderful field. I'm happy to come into work each day. Um, Like any other uh, part of medicine, some of our patients um, get better. Um, Like any other part of medicine, some of our patients get worse. And so um, that's part of doctoring. That's part of healthcare. But it's an absolute privilege to take care of these patients. They've been maligned and stigmatized by the rest of society. And so um, I feel like it's a, a very compelling pursuit.
0: Uh, Something I asked the last addiction medicine specialist uh, specific to addiction medicine and a very common question that I think potentially could come up in a medical school interview for for pre-meds that are still applying. Uh, Portugal had a, a very big thing many years ago, decriminalizing all of their drugs with really good results. And it's always a question, do we do that here? What is your thought on decriminalizing drugs in this country?
1: Yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's a great question. I guess I would start off by saying um, we are not Portugal. We are not Scandinavia. Um, we don't have uh, their oftentimes very homogeneous electorates. Um, but with that being said, I know for certain I don't want any of my patients in jail for something that I consider to be a medical disease, uh, especially a medical disease that is not their fault. Um, and so I'm really glad you asked the question. And asked about decriminalization and not simply legalization of drugs. And yep. in, in that sense, I think decriminalization, uh, as evidenced by the Portuguese experience and, and some other experiences around the world, ha- has shown that that's a really important middle ground between um, legalization and um And uh, maybe an experience like Singapore, for example, where you've got more draconian laws in place. Uh, So I'd love to see the U.S. uh, move in that direction. I think we're sort of tiptoeing there in in, uh, certain states around the country. I'd like to see a little bit more of it. Um, That being said, I, I think the sheer illegality of drugs is oftentimes enough of a roadblock to uh, prevent use. So the pediatrician in me is actually very mindful that if we somehow um, decriminalize all drugs, will we sort of accidentally make drugs um, a bit more appealing uh, to a typical youngster, and so that that does give me some pause. I'd like to see us move a little bit quicker than we're moving now, uh, but but still be rather judicious on our way there.
0: Well, we we here in Colorado are trying to do our part with the, uh, the decriminalization <laughs> yes. of mushrooms recently. So yeah, um,
1: yeah, and uh, you know that. Gosh, the Colorado we could talk for another hour about Colorado's <laughs> experience with cannabis. I think. I get very uncomfortable as a physician when I feel like people are forcing me to use my MD in a way that I wasn't taught. And so yeah. in that sense, prescribing cannabis, prescribing mushrooms makes me very uncertain because I, I never was able to learn what's in those products. <laughs> you didn't that have that point. course in med school? I did not. <laughs> no, not at my school. Um, and And so... I feel a bit like a fraud if somebody asks me to write them for a prescription for cannabis. And yeah. so in that sense, I think, uh, you know, the decriminalization legalization, um, Medical usage of, say, cannabis. A lot of that has gotten uh, really conflated into one issue, and and that's a shame because um, a lot of these are nuanced issues with very specific um, realities in, yeah. in each of their lanes. I
0: was trying to remember. I, I thought I heard at some point there there was w- at least one institution. There's very few, obviously, because of the the classification of marijuana by the DEA, but I, but I thought Tulane was an institution that had uh, clearance to do some research and do some
1: testing. Maybe I'm wrong. You yeah, may be. In fact, it, it is possible. It just takes forever. Yeah. And so, if we can change the schedule, I think we can figure out once and for all what is in this plant, what exact components of it work, what exact components of it do not work, and much like an aspirin, decide the, exact route, the exact duration, and the exact frequency, yep. such that when we send people to the pharmacy, we send them with, with as much conviction as we would for, for any other product. I, I fear that if we don't unschedule the, the product, um, we're never going to be able to do that research at the scale that you'd see with any other therapeutic agent.
0: Definitely. For the pre-med, medical student, or even resident listening to this, thinking about addiction medicine, what final words of wisdom would you have for them?
1: I guess I would go back to my um, my words from a few minutes ago, and, and that is that you're not giving up your primary field. Addiction medicine is a field full of internists, family medicine docs, OBs, surgeons, radiologists, anesthesiologists... Uh, psychiatrists, pediatricians, I mean, you name it, those folks have entered into our field. And so I think sometimes when people are thinking of a subspecialty, they'll oftentimes think, well, I've I've done all this work. It feels like I'm kind of throwing it in the garbage to move into this, this small little niche field. Um, that's really not the case in addiction medicine. You're still going to be practicing your primary specialty. Um, there's a lot of really hybridized, career paths out there, particularly in addiction medicine. And so I think if you're at all interested, I would encourage you to kind of dip your toes a little bit deeper into the water, reach out to a fellowship director. Um, We've got over 70 addiction medicine fellowships in the country right now. Uh, All of us are a tight-knit, friendly group. Uh, This is really a a passion project of ours. And so in that sense, I would encourage them to to look into it and not be dissuaded thinking that they're somehow going to give up their primary specialty because they're really not.
0: All right. There you have it again, Dr. Timothy Brennan, an addiction medicine specialist, pediatric trained at Mount Sinai, who's been out of training now for seven years. Years. Hopefully this has given you some insight into addiction medicine, into what Dr. Brennan says is an amazing specialty that everyone should look into, and hopefully you can find a physician to shadow if it is something that you are interested in. I hope you have a great week. We'll see you next time here on Specialty Stories.